0: Okay, Um, if you have a Bible, open your Bible to Hebrews chapter 12, and uh, we're going to look at Hebrews 12 verse 22 as the beginning. We're actually going to be flipping a lot tonight, and so you'll notice you have a handout on what is a church. This is Baptist Essentials. Do you know what makes us Baptist and not the other denominations? What's that? Heathens. Heathens? (laughs) Right. No, definitely not. Um, the, The distinction that Baptists have in church history is not on the doctrine of salvation. And that's why we believe that there are people who are saved who are not Baptist. Our distinction as Baptists is specifically in the doctrine of the church. That's where we... That's where we distinguish ourselves from other groups. It's not in the doctrine of salvation, not in the doctrine of God. We believe in those things and we'll, we'll defend those things as Baptists. But that's not what makes us Baptist. What makes us Baptists is specifically our doctrine and practice of how a church is ran. And we think it's actually biblical and not just traditional. So I'm not going to go through and, and quote to you different Baptist theologians of the past for the next six weeks. We're going to look at the Bible But I'm going to try to show you from the Bible that what makes Baptists Baptist in their practice of the church is actually biblical. And so I think all churches should do this. Now, they don't. They'd all be Baptist if they did. But um, I I want to show you from the Bible what that is. And so I know Aaron prayed. But let me just pray one more time as we um, look at this. Do you need more notes? I've got a few more copies there. Let's pray. Father, we're going to think about your word now explicitly and read it. And so we pray that you would help us to think well from the Bible on what you teach about a church. Lord, we don't want to be mere traditionalists. We don't want to be innovators just for the sake of innovation. We don't want to, um, we, we don't want to stray from your word in how we think about and practice what it means to be a church family. And so we pray that your Holy Spirit would guide our thinking, our processing, our evaluation of our church, and even our practice of our church. We want you, Lord Jesus, as the head of our church, to reign supreme by your word. So we pray that you'd help us now. In Jesus' name, amen. Am I coming through okay on the microphone? Okay. Great. Well, in January 2012, Jefferson Bethke came out with a spoken word poem, and it was entitled this, Why I Hate Religion But Love Jesus. And it went what we would call viral. A lot of people clicked on that and listened to it. And it was a very powerful poem. But he raises a question of, I hate religion. I hate institutions. I hate structures. I just want Jesus. And so it was very powerful and moving with a little bit of music in the background. But it was off, biblically speaking. It actually raised the question, if all you have is Jesus, do you really need the church. I mean, we just learned this morning that disciples can hinder people from coming to Jesus. And so shouldn't we just get rid of the church altogether and just focus on Jesus? You know, uh, the church has the church is a group of sinners and it's easy to list the sins of churches throughout history. So what if we just drop that altogether and just plug people directly into Jesus? Wouldn't that be much wiser. And isn't that the main thing? Isn't Jesus the main thing? So, here's the key question as we begin. How important is the church? Isn't Jesus, um, I mean, like I said, isn't Jesus the main thing? Why don't we just ditch the church and all the baggage and rethink how we do things? Because, besides, didn't Jesus say, where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am, what? In the midst of them? So, do we need a church because Jesus is in the midst of... Two or three. So it sounds right to say, I hate religion, but love Jesus. If someone's experience of, of the church seems irrelevant and a waste of time, maybe we could just do fine with God and without the church. So to answer this question, we need to think carefully about what the Bible says about the church and think about a theology of the church. Because what I want to show you is that the church is actually not just part of God's plan, It's central to God's plan. The church is central to the plan of God. And so it matters. If God spoke in this Bible about what a church is, we need to listen to what he says about a church and make sure that we are aligning ourselves accordingly. Okay, so to give you a quick overview, you see it right there in your notes. What is a church? We have six things there. Um, The first one, which is tonight, is what is a church? And we'll talk about the definition biblically of what a church is and give a a short introduction to that. Then we will talk about church membership next week, the keys of the kingdom in church membership. The next week after that, we'll talk about church discipline, the keys of the kingdom practiced in church discipline. And then we will talk about the ordinances, baptism and the Lord's Supper. Now we as Baptists name our Our group, according to baptism, so that's very important. We need to understand what baptism is and why and how that connects to the church. And then church governance. How does the church order itself together? Leadership, the role of the congregation, how those two things interact. And then sixthly, we'll we'll cover the church gathered and the church scattered. So that's what we're going to look at um, for the next few weeks here in a more of a Disc, I mean, it's teaching, it's sort of preaching, but it's also, you can talk. You don't have to just sit there the whole time. You can raise your hand and we can have back and forth here. Um, and then we're going to do a sermon series on it maybe in February next year in our in our Sunday morning gathering. Okay? So let's start with the question, what is a church? What is a church? You need to get this question right first. Imagine you're taking a flight from Los Angeles, California to Washington, D.C. So you, you're you going there for the holidays or you're going back home to, the, to your family for the holidays. You get through the security. You get on the plane. You start flying into the air and then you know the, the lights turn on and that means you can take off your seatbelt. You're free to move about the cabin. And what if you found out at that moment that the pilot was frantically turning pages of the manual of the plane, trying to figure out how to land the plane once they got to Washington, D.C. He'd learned everything he could about taking off, but he had learned nothing about or has no experience in ever landing a plane. That would be a scary predicament, right? And that sounds so crazy because you'd never let a pilot do that. Yet oftentimes when we start talking about what a church is and what a church needs to be, you start talking about we need to do this and we need to do that and we need to do this and you're talking about how to land the thing without ever getting the plane off the ground, namely defining what a church is. This is the very sad reality, but many pastors cannot answer the question in a short answer. What is a local church? Let me just ask a pastor to give a short, clear, succinct definition of what a local church is. And a lot of them just start fumbling around. And these are pastors. What is their job? To lead the what? To lead the local church. If you don't know what a local church is and you you have all these ideas and strategies and you read the latest book here and there about what we need to do to make this church right. But you don't even know how to define a church. You can't even get the, the plane off the ground, let alone land it. And so before you even start talking about. What should we do as a church and is our church healthy or not? And, and what, what direction should we, what changes or what should we continue in this church? Before we do any of that, we need to define very clearly what is a local church. So where do we start? You see that right there on your notes. What a church is not. I have two things that a church is not. If you're taking notes, you can write these two things down. A church is not a building. You knew that, Right. A church is not a building, yet we always say, hey, I'm going to the church, right? Um, you, know, um, what, you know, who turned off the lights in the church? And we, we have workday at church, as if the church is the building. Now, I understand, it's not sin if you call the building the church, but it's not quite biblically accurate either, right? The church is not the building. If this building burned down tomorrow, there would still be First Southern Baptist Church of Bellflower, right? First Southern Baptist Church of Bellflower would still exist. Why? Because what is or who is First Southern Baptist Church of Bellflower? We are the people, right? And so you can, if the building burned down, the, the, the point is the building is not the church, right? If the building burned down, the people would still be there. And that's why Paul says in Romans 16, verses 3 through 5, the church met in Priscilla and Aquila's house. Because the house was not the church, but the people met in that place. Okay, so the, the, the people that meet there is the church. And by the way, when we talk about the temple or the sanctuary in the New Testament, the sanctuary or the temple is also the people and not the building. So this is not holy ground per se. This is not a holy room. It's, it's holy because we are here and the Holy Spirit lives in us. But this room is not holy in that sense. That's Old Testament thinking, Old Covenant thinking. We're in the New Covenant. We are The church. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Okay? So the church is not the building. That's number one. Number two, the church is not merely a random group of Christians. It's not merely a group of Christians. So let's say you and ten of your, your closest Christian friends all get together at your house for your annual Christmas party that you do. Your reunion with some of your Christian friends through the years. Is that a group of Christians? Yeah. Is that a local church? Because if it's the people... And they're all Christians. Wouldn't the ten or fifteen friends at at the house be a local church? No, not necessarily. You know, there are some books, popular books today, that are written. You don't need to go to church on Sunday if you get together with your golf friends on Sunday and you're at you're, you're playing golf and it's four Christians on the golf group that's going together playing the round. That's church. You know, because it's four Christians together. No, the 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 church is far more than just a group. Of Christians. Let me define universal and local church, then I'll ask you if you have any thoughts or comments. What is a universal church? Does anyone know what the universal church is? Anyone want to guess? What is the universal church? It's what? It accepts anybody. It accepts anybody? Oh, yeah, you're talking about the domination. Yeah, um, universal church. Um, but what, biblically speaking or in theology, what is the universal church? Brandon? All believers through all times. All believers through all times in all of the universe. Okay, just to use the word universal. All Christians, all believers in Christ, across the universe. So are we here, is this group here, just us here, is this the universal church? No, now we're part of the universal church, and as a church we represent the whole universal church, but we are not in ourselves the whole universal church. Every Christian everywhere is part of the universal church. I had you turn to Hebrews 12, right? I didn't tell you what the word church meant, did I? Anyone know what the word church means in the Bible? Anyone want to guess? No one wants to guess? If I give you the Greek word, that wouldn't help you, right? Ekklesia. The body of Christ? Body, that's an image of the church, yes. But the word ekklesia, does anyone know what that word means? You're in Hebrews 12, right? You'll see it here in Hebrews 12, verse 24, but starting in verse 22. This is talking about the universal ecclesia, ecclesia, the universal church. Okay, Hebrews 12, 22 to 24, it says this. Instead, you, Christians, have come to Mount Zion. So you didn't go to Mount Sinai. You came to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to the myriads of angels in festive gatherings. So there you've come, to the heavenly Jerusalem. And to the what of the firstborn? Do you see that in verse 23? You have come to the what of the firstborn? The church. Another translation? I heard it. Assembly. To the assembly of the firstborn, whose names have been written in heaven. To the God who is judge over all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. To Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood which says better things than the blood of Abel. So here's the universal church. The universe, the word church is what? You saw the other translation. What is it? Assembly. You know another word for that? Gathering. Gathering, assembly, group getting together. That's the idea of what a church is. Okay? It's the assembling of the people. The gathering of the people together is what a church is. Now, where do all Christians of all times gather? I mean, we're here in Bellflower, we're not in Chicago. We're not in New York. How are we all in the same place gathered? Did you see where we're all gathered here? Where are we all gathered? According to verse 22. To Mount what? Mount Zion, the heavenly what? Heavenly Jerusalem. We are all spiritually in heaven. Gathered. At Mount, at Mount Zion, with the angels, the assembly of the firstborn. With God, we're gathered to God. In verse 24, we're gathered to Jesus. We are all there. Does that sound weird? It sounds almost like sci-fi-ish. We are all there. But you'll, you'll, you'll remember Ephesians 2, where it says we're dead in our trespasses and sins. And then verse 4 says, but God made us alive together with Christ. And then it says, he has raised us with him and seated us in the heavenly places. That's Ephesians 2.7. That's very strange. Wait, PJ is here in Bellflower, California. How am I seated in the heavenly places? Well, when you died with Christ, when he died on the cross, guess who died with him? You did, if you're in Christ. When Christ rose from the dead, guess who rose with him? You did, Romans 6. And when Christ went up to heaven and seated himself in the heavenly places, guess who else is seated up there? You are. And so all Christians everywhere, everyone who's in Christ, is gathered towards Christ at Mount Zion, the heavenly assembly. That's the universal church. Okay? So in one sense, that's the universal church church. And then there's a local church. Now, when you read the word church in the New Testament or assembly, it is not most of the time referring to the universal church. It's mostly referring to to the local church. So most references are like the church at Rome. Can you name any other New Testament churches? The church at Corinth, Ephesus, Jerusalem. Thyatira, Philippi, Antioch, Thessalonica, Galatia. Well, now, Galatia is a little bit trickier, and a lot of people don't notice this. Actually, this is good. Turn to Galatians 1, as you brought up Galatians. I was trying to avoid Galatia, but um, good. I'm glad you brought it up. Look at verse 2. This is different than all the other Ephesians, Philippians, and all those other books. Why? What does it say in verse 2? And all the brothers who are with me... Paul writes to who in verse 2? To the what? Churches of Galatia. Oh, whoa. Church in Ephesus, church in Philippi, church in Corinth, churches in Galatia? Why? Here's why. Galatia is not a city. Galatia is a region. So there's different cities in Galatia. That would be like saying the churches in Southern California. There's the church in Bellflower. There's the church in Downey. There's a church in Los Angeles. There are the churches of Southern California. That's what Galatia is. So that actually honors what the local church is because he doesn't say to the church in the region. One of the things that drives me a little crazy here in Bellflower is... um, This is being recorded, so I need to be a little careful here. But um, Bellflower Ministers Association... So there's a bunch of pastors who get together in the city, and what they have is they keep on referring to the Church of Bellflower as, that, as if we're all one church. And it's like, oh, as a Baptist, it's just like it's like scratching a chalkboard when I hear the Church of Bellflower. I'm like, oh, we're, we're churches of Bellflower, or we're the one church representing, but we're not one single church of all these churches. Anyways, so that's what a local church is. Okay, uh, before I define a local church, does anyone have any questions so far? Or does anyone want to give a definition of a local church? Questions, comments, thoughts. John, don't look it up. I'm going to have you. I'm going to put you on the spot now. You have to answer it without looking it up. Okay? Before John gives us his best crack at a definition of a local church, anyone have any comments or questions about universal church? What is a church? Come on, let me know that you're thinking about it. What was that verse? Uh, What's the chapter and verse in, in uh, Hebrews? Hebrews 12. 22 to 24. Verse 23 has the word church or assembly or gathering. That's the same same word, same meaning. Okay? Good. Gene? what was the verse in Galatians? Galatians 1:2 says to the churches of Galatia, not to the church. It's different than all the other ones because it's a region, not a city. Okay? Other questions? All right, John. What is a local church? From your memory, no notes. What have you learned? At, what has Cal, we've been investing in Cal Baptist University as a Southern Baptist church. What are they teaching you, brother? What is a local church? No pressure. Dr. Cochran is going to hunt me down. After- <laughs> 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 well, um, a, a local church is a group of believers covenanting together to the hearing of the word in New Testament community. Including the ordinances, church discipline, etc., um, for the building up of the body in recognition until the day that Jesus returns. <laughs> that That's a little long, but okay. I mean, you, you, that etc. covers everything you missed, right? Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> etc. But, yeah, well, okay. Here's the way I'll de- I'm, I would define it, and then we're going to go to the actual notes. It's a little bit different than the way I would define it. To, again, to make it really simple, a local church is a group of Christians who unite people to Christ and to itself. So evangelism, you're uniting people to Christ when you share the gospel. And then you unite people to yourself. Baptism, bring them into the church. Unites people to Christ and to itself and takes responsibility for one another's discipleship. That's what a church does. That's the definition of Church. What are we doing as a group of Christians? We are uniting people to Christ. We share the gospel with them. We're uniting people to ourselves. They're joining our church. And then we are taking responsibility for each other's growth and discipleship as a church. That's what I would say is, that's a short definition of a church. Let's get a little bit longer one. Open your notes to the inside. You have your definition right there. You don't need to write it down. It's right there for you. Okay, so what is a church here? It says, a local church... Now, it's it's more than just a group of friends, right, hanging out. A local church is a group of Christians who regularly gather in Christ's name. That's what assembly is. They assemble in Christ's name to do what? To officially affirm. That's when you baptize and take into membership. To officially affirm and guard one another's membership in Jesus Christ. So we affirm someone who's in Christ, and we guard their membership in Christ... And his kingdom through, how do we guard them? How do we guard them? Through gospel preaching, through gospelizing, and through gospel ordinances. And without flipping your paper back over, what are the two ordinances? Good Baptists? Baptism Baptism and? Lord's Supper. That's right. Okay. That's what a church does. They gather together, they affirm one another's membership in Christ, and they oversee each other's membership. One another's membership in Christ and the kingdom through gospelizing and through gospel ordinances. That's what a local church is, according to the New Testament. Okay. Another way of saying it is um, when we talk about notice, it says one another's membership in Jesus Christ. So you're a member of Christ, his body and his kingdom. Does anyone have a short definition of the kingdom of God? What is the kingdom of God? I always define it as God's sinner-saving, curse-reversing rule. But here's another way of defining it. God's people in God's place under God's rule. I'd actually like you to write that one down if you are taking notes. Just write that down under the defining of the church. God's people in God's place under God's rule. That would be Graham Goldsworthy's definition of the kingdom of God. And this is really a good definition, or getting at the heart of what the church is. God's people in God's place under God's rule. Any questions or thoughts on this definition before we go into the story of imaging God? Okay, just before I get to the next section. Any questions or comments on the definition of a church? You have questions about that definition, a comment, a thought? Well, I've probably heard it's a group of baptized believers. Yeah? Yeah, and that's where gospel ordinances is, right there, because one of the gospel ordinances is baptism. So yes, absolutely, and that would be perfectly fine to state it explicitly, but you're right, Jerry, let's baptize believers. Any other thoughts, comments? By the way, if you want to see another definition, you can look at our Baptist faith and message, our statement of faith, it has it there as well. Any other thoughts, though, on the definition? Okay, well, let's go to, if this is God's people in God's place under God's rule— Here's the question. If we're going to be under God's rule, what does it look like for us as a people to be under the rule of God? Because if it's not the pastor's rule or the congregation's rule or this member or that member's rule, if it's God's rule, what does it look like to be under his rule? And when you're under his rule and you're obeying God, what do we call that when you're obeying God and you're worshiping God and you're submitting to his rule? What do we call our services? We call them what kind of services? Worship services, because that's what we're doing. When you submit to the rule of God, you're worshiping God. And so if we're going to submit to God's rule as a church, we want to be a worshiping church, right? And so if we're going to worship God for all that he's worth, we need to submit ourselves to his rule. And to submit ourselves to his rule, when you do this, you actually image God. Like father, like son, okay? We want to image God. So the story of the church. There's a lot of ways we could look at the story of the church. I just want to pick one theme out here. Is the story of the image of God. So we're going to look at the story of the image of God in six steps. You see them right there in your notes. The church displays the image of God or the the glory of God as we display the image of God. I'll go through these six very briefly. So um, after I go through these six, feel free to I'll summarize it. Then you could ask questions before we continue. So, how do we image God? How was God imaged in the world? Where can you see God on planet Earth? First of all, you see it in creation. In Genesis 1, right? In Genesis 1, God created plants and animals, and it says this, each according to its kind. So, an apple is patterned after other apples, right? A zebra is patterned after other zebras. Now, be careful there. Man or humans are patterned after other. No. Humans aren't patterned after other humans. Unlike apples and zebras. Humans are patterned after God. So when you get to Genesis 1.26, it says this. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. We are patterned not after other humans. We are patterned after God. Which means, when you see another human, you're supposed to see who? God. Because you're seeing a pattern of God every time you see another man or another woman. You're supposed to be seeing God represented uniquely through humanity. Like father, like son. Adam is called the son of God. So we, we, we reflect God in our being made in his image um, through reproduction, rule, and rest. Okay, so that's what we're made to do. Reflect God. Genesis 1.26. If you're writing any verses, that's the verse to write there. For creation. Genesis 126. Now let's go to fall. The fall. Step two. Now the fall is in what chapter? Genesis chapter 3. Right? Genesis chapter 3. People decide. Adam and Eve decide. Not to represent God's rule. Instead of trusting the word of God. They trusted the lie of who? Of Satan the serpent. So that they could be like God. So they didn't want to represent God anymore. Who do they want to represent? Themselves. Right, Eve was looking at the fruit, Adam was looking at the fruit, and they were saying, forget representing God, I will display my own glory and my own image. I will do what I want to do, not knowing that they were actually obeying Satan. And so in their rebellion and in their desire to represent their own rule, they were guilty. And we're guilty now because we've broken God's law, so we are now all corrupt. Humans are corrupt and sinners by nature and by choice. So we're supposed to be this mirror that when you look at a human, it's supposed to be this 45 degree angle mirror so that when you're looking at me, I'm supposed to be reflecting God. And now all of a sudden, because of our sin, the mirror is bent. So when you look at PJ as a sinner, I'm sort of distorting what God looks like because I'm trying to assert my own rule. Okay, and so that's the problem with the fall. And the consequence of that, what happened to Adam and Eve? Did they get to stay in the garden? No, they were exiled. They were kicked out of the garden. They were cast out of the garden. Okay, so you have creation, fall. Next you have, in your notes, Israel. Step three, Israel. So God in his mercy had a plan both to save and use a group of people to accomplish his original purpose, to image God, to display his glory. So in Exodus 4, you know what? God tells Moses to tell Pharaoh. God says to Moses in the burning bush, go tell Pharaoh to let my... Okay, not let my people go. That Sorry, I set you up in the wrong way with that. Not let my people go, but let my firstborn son go. And if you don't let my firstborn son go, I'm going to do what to your firstborn son? I'm going to take your firstborn son. And we know in the Passover, the 10th tenth plague, tenth plague, he ended up taking Pharaoh's firstborn son because Pharaoh refused to let God's firstborn son go. And who is God's firstborn son? Israel. That's, if you're taking notes, Exodus 4.22. You can look at that later. Exodus 4.22. Israel is the son of God. Why son? Because sons look like who? Their dads, right? They image their fathers like father, like son. And so you get the Ten Commandments because Israel as the son is supposed to image God the father. So commandment number one, you shall have no other gods before me. Why? Because God has no other gods before him. You shall not make for yourself an image of God because you are the image of God. You shall act in a way that reflects my character. Like father, like son, like sons. Israel, as a group, was to reflect God. And if this son, Israel, worshipped other images and failed to display God's image, disobeying the law of covenant, what would God do to them when they were in the promised land? What would God do? He would cast them out. What do we call that in the story? Exile. He would exile them. And as you know in the story, that's exactly what happened. Israel did not reflect God, and therefore God cast them out in judgment. So that's number three, Israel. Number four is Christ. Step four, Christ. In Matthew 3, Jesus is baptized, and when he's coming out, or before he gets baptized, is it when he comes out? I can't remember now. Matthew chapter 3, Mark chapter 1. Jesus is coming out of the water, and then the heavens open. Yes, after he came out. Heaven's open, and what does the voice say? You are my what? My beloved son. In you I am? Well, pleased. Here you have a declaration from the Father. This is my son. Like father, like son. So now at last, after Adam and Eve's failure, after... Israel's failure. Now you have a son who perfectly pleases the father. He perfectly images the father. So much so that he says in John 14, 9, you could write that verse as well. John 14, 9. He tells Philip, if you have seen me, you have what? Seen the father. Because like father, like son. I have imaged God perfectly. And so it's no wonder when you read Colossians 1, Actually, let's get... Half of you to turn to Colossians 1.15, another half to turn to Hebrews 1.3. And one of you can read it out loud. Colossians 1.15, and then Hebrews 1.3. So if I could get one volunteer for Colossians, and then one volunteer to read Hebrews 1.3 out loud. All right? Colossians 1.15 first. Volunteer? Okay, Chris, Loud. Okay, so here you have Jesus as the image of the invisible God. And then Hebrews 1.3, volunteer. Okay, mom, you have to turn around probably and read it. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact expression of his nature, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After making purification of sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Okay, great. So in verse 3, he is the exact expression or the exact representation of his being. If you want to know what God the Father looks like exactly, who do you look at? The Son, right? Christ. Because he is the exact representation, expression of his being. And then... To, put, to, to add on to that, not only does he come to represent God perfectly, as my mom read verse 4, I didn't ask her to, but great, good, good thing she read it, he made sacrifice for sins and sat down at the right hand of God. So not only does he image God perfectly, he dies for all of Israel and all sinners everywhere who have not reflected him well, who have fought for their own kingdom. He takes the judgment for them and makes purification for their sins if they would trust in Christ and unite themselves to Christ. And when people unite to Christ, what do you have? When you have a group of people uniting to Jesus Christ and becoming his body, we call that the what? The body of Christ is called the, is the what? The church, right? And so we move from Christ to the church, the body of Christ. And so let's go to step five now in your notes, which is the body of Christ or the church. Let me just quote to you some verses. You can write these down and look at them later. Romans 8.29 says this. For those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. So, if you're a Christian, you were predestined to be conformed to the image of Christ. 1 Corinthians 15, 49. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, so we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. Our job as Christians, listen, is to display the character and likeness and image and glory of the Son. Because when we display Christ we display who? The Father. Okay, so Christians are to display the character of Christ. The Father is a peacemaker, so you, church, be what? Peacemakers. The Father loves his enemies, so you, church, should what? Love your enemies. The Father and Jesus are one, so you, church, should be one, united. Like Father, like Son, like Son's that's what we're supposed to be now we move from the church to glory the last one uh, 1 John 3 2 let's turn there the end of your bible right before revelation 1st John chapter 3 verse 2 you're saying well you know PJ this is sort of discouraging because I don't represent Jesus that well and I do have sin in my life that's true but here's hope the step 6 is glory 1st John chapter 3 verse 2 are you there? 1 John chapter 3, verse 2 says, Dear friends, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet been revealed. But we know that when he appears, we will be what? Like him. Why? Because we will see him as he is. So when we see Christ as he is, we will be what? Like him. In glory, when Christ comes again, we will be transformed into a perfect mirror reflecting Jesus perfectly. So all of the warts and all of the distortions I communicate about God when you look at me will be gone. And everyone who's in Christ will reflect Jesus perfectly forever and ever. Will reflect his image perfectly. And we will fulfill God's original design. That God's son and sons and daughters, his people, will reflect his glory In the world. That's the story of the Bible. That's one way of telling the story of the Bible. So let me summarize the story before I get your comments and questions and thoughts. God created humankind to display the excellence of who he is. Adam and Eve didn't do that, though. Neither did the people of Israel. But Jesus did. Jesus revealed God, and Jesus came to save us from our sins. Now the church is united to Christ, and now the church is called to image the character of the glory of God in all of the universe. It is called to testify in word and in action how we live our lives, how we do our worship services, how we sin against each other and forgive each other. In all that we do as a church, we are to display the character and work of God and the wisdom of God in how we live. So how should we worship? How should we respond to the excellence of who he is? We should worship God by imaging him, by showing off his glory. And so we return to our definition right there at the top of your page. Let me just read it again. A local church is a group of Christians who regularly gather in Christ's name to officially affirm and guard one another's membership in Jesus Christ and His kingdom through, the, through gospel preaching and gospel ordinances. Okay, any questions, comments, or thoughts on that story? I know it's been a long day, but... I like this story. It's just uh, it it just helps reorient my life and reorient our church. Any thoughts on that before we continue? Nothing. You knew all this already. <laughs> You've been thinking that. Go ahead, Bethany. Oh, so what's the significance of Adam also being called son of God? It's, uh, for, for Adam, it's, it is, yes, to reflect God, who he is. But that one, you'd go to Romans chapter 5. Adam is the head of all humanity in sin. When Adam sinned, all of us are now guilty of sin. And when Christ, through the one act of Christ's righteousness, we're all... So Jesus is a second Adam in that regard. So that's a little bit different than Israel. I mean, we're, they're all sons in different ways or in similar ways, but there are distinctions between Adam and Israel and Jesus. But yeah, that would be the Adam-Jesus connection, Romans 5. Okay, other thoughts or questions? I hope you're feeling the privilege of being part of the church. We have quite a task to image God in the world as a church, but that's, that's the story. That's our design. That's God's design. Okay, let's look at the bottom of this page. New Testament pictures of the church. You have, um, and uh, our brother Ken mentioned this already, a body. The church is a body of Christ, 1 Corinthians 12, verses 12 to 27. The church is a family, God is our Father, we are all brothers and sisters. We are a flock of sheep, and Jesus is the chief shepherd, or the chief pastor. We are a house, we are living stones, the building of God, where God lives in us. Notice it's not the physical building here. 10010 Somerset Boulevard. That's not the building. The building is each living person in 1 Peter 2. That is the building of God. And then we are a royal priesthood in 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 9. The point here is the structure of the church, how we structure a church, and the purpose of the church displaying God is set in our living together. When we live life together, okay, so you say, what is a church? Well, it's a membership. They gather together. They, pass, they practice gospel preaching and gospel ordinances. Okay, great. So First Southern Baptist Church of Bellflower, First Baptist Church of Artesia, First Presbyterian Church of Los Angeles, whatever the case, you get a local church, you got the structure in place, but how do you see God's image? You see it once you start to see members interact with each other. How do they love one another? What's going on in those relationships and interactions with each other? How are they discipling each other and and restoring each other and gospelizing the world together? That's where you start to see the structure take on flesh in a church. And you start to see God on the move in Bellflower and in in the world. Okay, so um, there's three implications of this. And this is the last page here. Three implications there on your last page. Implication number one, so three lessons. Lesson number one, the church is the focal point of God's plan to display his glory to the nations. Look at Ephesians chapter three. Turn to Ephesians chapter three. Or listen to it read. Ephesians chapter three. Now when you, as you're looking at Ephesians three, just, just think about this. In Ephesians one, it's a beautiful picture of God saving us by his grace for his glory alone. This amazing salvation, Ephesians 1. Ephesians 2, we're dead in our trespasses and sins, yet God made us alive together with Christ. You've been saved by grace through faith and not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not a result of work, so no one can boast. Awesome salvation. And then you get to the end of Ephesians 2, and it says, wait, there's Jews and there's Gentiles. They were separated, and now God brings them into one body. He reconciles them into one body, and as that one body... They become the temple of the Holy Spirit together. Different people who would not get along otherwise, now in Christ, become one body, the temple. Then you get to Ephesians chapter 3, and you read a crazy verse like this. Look at Ephesians 3. This is the new humanity, the new family. What's God's design here? Somebody read Ephesians 3.10 out loud, please. Volunteer. God's multifaceted wisdom may now be made known through the church to the rulers and authorities in the heavens. So God's multifaceted wisdom, his glory, the glory of his wisdom might be made known, displayed through who? The through the church. This is So God says, you want to know how wise I am? Look at First Southern Baptist Church of Bellflower. Mm-hmm. That's literally what this verse is saying. You want to see the multifaceted wisdom of God? Look at a church. Because the church is the display of God's infinite wisdom. And you're saying, I'm looking around, I don't see the display of God's multifaceted, infinite wisdom. That's what Ephesians 3.10 is saying. That the church is the display of the wisdom of God of bringing Jews and Gentiles and uniting a new humanity in Jesus Christ. So that's the first thing, is that the church is not a secondary thing to your Christian life. Going back to the beginning, that poem that that brother had, where he says, I love Jesus, but I hate religion. You can't have Jesus and then get rid of his central plan. The church is the central plan of God to display his glory, his wisdom in the world today. It's more important than every other institution that you're a part of. This church, First Southern Baptist Church, is infinitely more important than you think it is, perhaps, unless you've been meditating on verses like this. That's why Jesus says, don't mess with the church. Because this is the display of his wisdom, okay, through the church. That's implication lesson number one. It's central to God's plan. Number two, the church should be distinct from the world. This is a sense of our holiness. 1 Peter 1.16, be holy as I am. Be holy as I am. Holy, right? So we are a church, yet, okay, so churches are only for sinners. If you're not a sinner, you don't belong here, okay? Only sinners can be part of our church. So if you're not a sinner, you can't be part of our church. The church is only for sinners, but it's not for every sinner. It's for repentant sinners. It's for repentant sinners. And if the church is repentant sinners, then we look different from the world. Because the world, by definition of not being part of the church, is not repentant, right? What is the key to holiness? The key to holiness is faith in Christ and repentance from sin. That's the core of holiness. You want to know the character of a Christian? Of holiness, they repent from sin. It's not that they never sin. It's that every time they sin, they repent from sin and cling to Christ afresh. So if that's, if that's true, because that starts to change your character, the point here is that the church is to be distinct from the world. A lot of churches I say, hey, let's go reach the world. You know how we need to reach the world? Let's go take a survey of our neighborhood. Let's find out what they want, and let's go do the mud wrestling match. Because some people want to see a mud re- you know, there was one church that did a mud wrestling match between the associate pastors. And they just advertised it around the neighborhood so they could get people in the building. That's not what a church does. You know, we don't take our cues from the world. We don't take our cues ultimately from business practices and marketing. We are distinct from the world. We have our instruction manual right here. So we are distinct from the world as we trust in Christ and obey his word. And so, even though we're distinct from the world, lesson number three is: though we are distinct from the world, we are a display to the world. Right? We're a display to the world. So, and just write these verses down. I'm not gonna. I'm just gonna quote them to you from memory. Um, John 17. Jesus says, John 17, 15 to 18. I don't pray that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. I have I have sent them into the world. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. What is Jesus saying? The church is not supposed to be taken out of the world. We're supposed to be in the neighborhood because the world needs to see the glory of God, which means we have to be here displaying it. So we don't retreat as if the church is a bomb shelter just waiting for the coming of Christ. We are out actively engaging the gates of hell and trying to we're charging the gates of hell, trying to display Christ's glory and gospelize people so that they might come to him. That's why 1 Corinthians 9:19 9, to 22, you could write that and look at that later. Last verse I'm going to quote, 1 Corinthians 9:19 9, to 22. Paul says, to the Jew I became like a Jew in order to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law to win those under the law. To those without the law, I became like one without the law though I'm under the law of Christ so that I might win those who are without the law. Even to the weak I became week so that I may be, I may win the week. I have become all things to all people in order that I may save some. So the church is sent, is catapulted into bellflower in order to save some. To communicate as we display God's glory together, we display it so that people would be saved. That's what the church does. Okay, so Um, any thoughts before we, I mean, I'm done with that, but just to know that you're thinking about something, can I get at least two thoughts, comments, or questions from you before, before we move to our prayer time, just so I know you're still, you're still there. Okay. Thoughts, comments, questions. What is a church images of a church? The three implications of a church. Chris, you got something? No, trying to to articulate it. Okay, there's a mic coming around. He's thinking still somebody else. Give me two before we close or before we pray and then move to prayer. Ken, can you give Ken the mic? Our church should be the image of God. Yes, yes. And you know what? Our church already is. We're just trying to grow in it. But yes, every church already is. They might not be doing a good job, but you can't not be it, you know. So, uh, but yeah, but we need to grow in being more consistently that every church does. Um, So can a church still be considered or a group of people still be considered a church if they are not committed to each other in practicing discipleship and um, biblical church discipline? No. No. And, And once we get to our next two lessons on the keys... What, what are the next, let me see here, our next, uh, yeah, church membership, the next three lessons. Church membership, church discipline, and then baptism and a Lord's Supper. If you don't have those things, you don't have a church. Okay, you need those three things to be a church biblically. So, yeah, good question. Simple answer is no, you can't. If you don't do those things, you're not a church. Okay, anything else? Anyone? Going once. Going twice. Okay, I'm going to close our time in prayer here, and then um, some of our brothers and sisters, if if this is the time for you to 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 um, to go home, you can. And if you want to stay for prayer, we're going to pray. Okay, we got a lot of we got prayer work to do, so let's let's um, pray. Father, we thank you for your word. It is a tremendous privilege to be a Christian and to be part of a church where this is the central location for the display of your multifaceted wisdom to the heavenly places. We pray that where we are falling short of your glory, sinning, that you would forgive us and show us where we're sinning as a church. That we might display your glory more accurately and more joyfully. We thank you for the ways we are already displaying your glory. There's a lot of love in this church. The gospel is sounded forth every Sunday from the pulpit, and I do hear it in conversations amongst each other. There is confession of sin that, started, that, that has been coming, but I, I sense some, some members uh, helping each other guard each other's discipleship. God, it's clear that you're working to display your glory here. We thank you for your activity. And now as we move to prayer, we're going to pray for more of that activity, Lord, because we want to display you faithfully. So as we think about what the church is for the next five more Sundays, we pray that this core group, our Sunday night is usually the core group of the church, that this core group of members would think biblically and, and, and humbly and thoughtfully about what the church is, that we might be catalysts in growing as a healthy church. May your word guide us. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, well, um, you have in your, we're going to go to prayer, but um, in, your, in your handout, we'll see you tomorrow. Okay, okay. we'll take a one-minute break. Yeah, I mean, who knows what's gonna happen? I'm just trusting the Lord, and yeah, it's fine. Okay, no, no sweat. See in the okay, see you tomorrow, brother. Okay, we have a lot of prayer requests to get to, so let's let's just start assigning. I'm assuming everyone here is okay praying, right? So um, let's just go down the line, perhaps. Brandon, we've been missing you Sunday morning, brother. Glad to see you Sunday night, though. Um, can you pray for number one? Okay. And then, Chris, I'll have you... Actually, Mom, I'll have you pray for number two. We'll go from the front to the back. To the back row Baptists. Okay. So, from Mom, um, Jean, if you could pray for number three. Okay. Al, if you could pray for number four. Ken, if you could pray for number five. Uh, John Lee, number six. Bethany, I'll give you number eight. I'll pray for number seven, I usually do. Bethany, you have number eight. Chris, you have number nine. And then, is, is, is Dad still here, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm going to give my dad number ten. Going to the other side, number eleven, Goes back to Brandon. Brandon, I've only given you one so far, right? Yeah. Okay, back to Brandon for number eleven. Mom, you got number eleven B. Brandon, you got number eleven A. Sorry. Jean, you have eleven C. Al, you got eleven D. Please. Okay. Now Marianne and Steve have a package. Of four. That's actually five. They text me one more to add to the list. Okay? They're really obeying, um, this morning's message. You told me to cry out, so here we go. Okay, good. Thank you for listening to the message and being a doer of the word and not hearer only, Steve and Marianne. So, let me give the, who is, who's left? Or who's next? It was you, Ken, right? Yeah. Alright, Ken, you're gonna have E, F, G, and H. Okay? EFG and H. It's just Marianne and Steve step, and you're going to have to add one more to it, okay? Susan Kaufman. This is a sad, sad thing that we need to be praying for. She fell and she hit her head. This is um, Marianne's brother's wife, Susan Kaufman. She had 20 stitches and a concussion and memory loss. And also pray, more importantly, but also very um, important, is her salvation. So pray for her salvation and then if you could pray for um, for her